I want to speak tonight on a simple subject, which is loving your neighbour. What do you think of first when somebody mentions the neighbours? I would guess that it might depend on the kind of neighbours that you have. There are some of us who may live beside noisy neighbours. And then again, there may be some who are nasty neighbours. And then you have that other crowd that some of us are afflicted with that we might call nosy neighbours. In this message, I want us to look at the topic of neighbours and loving your neighbour. Of course, when we come to think of that, it automatically makes us to think of the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God. The commandments, the ten words, are a summation of God's moral law. God gave the law to Moses on two tablets of stone, and it is my personal belief that there were five commandments on each of those stones. There are some commentators who think four and six, but I believe it's five and five. I don't want to get into the reason for that tonight. But certainly the first table we know sums up man's duty to God. The second table of the law sums up man's duty to man. Now the Lord Jesus Christ condensed these into two statements. If you care to turn to Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, and I want to consider verses 37 through 40. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, from verse 37. The Bible says that someone asked the Lord, about which was the great commandment in the law. And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Notice he was asked which was the greatest commandment in the law. Now basically Jesus answered, love God and love your neighbor. Now those are both statements that are taken from the Old Testament. They're found to be exact in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19. Let me refer to those verses. Deuteronomy chapter 6 from verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. So that's the first one. Loving the Lord your God. Then Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. There it says, Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor 
as thyself. I am the Lord. So there you have these two commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now the Decalogue, as we call it, the Ten Commandments, is one supreme law of love. Love as shown first to God and then to men. An old Scottish preacher once said, These two precepts of love are vitally connected. Love to God carries with it love to man, and the latter is the test of the former. In other words, your profession of loving God may be proved to be true by the way that you show love to others. The Bible says, He that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? 1 John 4, verse 20. Now, interestingly, the divine precept, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, is found seven times in the New Testament. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't until I looked it up. Seven times you have this precept, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And seven in Hebrew is a perfect number, so it is very, very important. Now, as we consider the theme of the commandment, this one in particular, love thy neighbor as thyself, there are some things that I think we should note. First of all, I want us to consider carefully the order of love. When I say the order of love, I mean that the order as it is in Scripture is very important. We must love God wholeheartedly, first and foremost, and love our fellow man. Again, look at the words of Matthew chapter 22. You find it in verse 38 and 39. Matthew chapter 22, 38 and 39. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. As I say, the order is vital. Arthur W. Pink wrote, Utterly worthless is that righteousness which abstains from acts of violence against our fellows while we withhold from the majesty of heaven the glory which is his due. Equally vain is it to pretend to be worshippers of God if we refuse those offices of love which are due to our neighbours. And again, John Calvin stated, Without the fear of God, men preserve no equity and love among themselves. In other words, the truth is that if you do not love God, if you do not really have a love in your heart for God, you cannot truly love your neighbour. And how that cuts across the so-called gospel of many, which is a gospel of works. Their gospel virtually is love thy neighbour. Do your best. Try to be a good citizen. Try to be an upstanding citizen. And to try your best to do as many good works and works of charity as you can. 
Love your neighbor as if that were the gospel, as if that were the sum and substance of the gospel. But the question that we must deal with first and foremost, and the question that you must deal with first of all in your life tonight is, do I love God? Do you love God? You cannot love God, of course, if you don't know him. And you can only come to know Him through Christ. O come to the Father through Jesus the Son, the hymn says, and give Him the glory, great things He hath done. Now the Gospel provides us with the clear knowledge of God. It is by saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in His work on Calvary's cross, that you come to know and to love God but he must be your God before you can love him. And if he is your God, you will love him above all else. Love for God, you see, can never take second place to any other love. There's a great preacher in southern Scotland called Thomas Boston, Boston of Ettrick, And he taught that if we do not love the Lord above all, we do not truly love him at all. It's quite a statement that, isn't it? If we do not love the Lord above all, we do not truly love him at all. Now, does that mean that we love him as we ought to? No, it does not. And sadly, every Christian has caused to sing with the hymn writer, More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. But still, it will be true that we will love him preeminently, if he truly is our God. And let me point out, the Lord Jesus Christ was not teaching any novel or new doctrine when he said that loving your neighbor was the second great commandment. But what the Lord did do, was to set that commandment in a new light. Because he made a true love for our neighbor dependent upon and subject to a true love for God. There's some who thought they could separate the commandments. Now it has rightly been said that Christians are in the best position to do the greatest amount of good in the world. Now why is that? Well, it's because a saved man has the love of God shed abroad in his heart. And I could take you through history, through church history, and point out to you the various examples of Christian missions and of Christian philanthropy, and it bears testimony to this fact. The acts of love and kindness, the charitable efforts, and the endeavours to stop Disease, for example, made by Christian missionaries is well documented. If you're a believer tonight, don't let the world and the the haters of God and the gospel tell you anything else. Don't let them start talking to you about the evils of those who went to foreign lands to reach Stone Age type people and the harm that they did. Don't listen to that nonsense. Because history teaches us that God's people have been in the vanguard of medical missions, for example. It is 
Christian people who have often led the way in orphan care. I think of George Muller of Bristol. I think of C.H. Spurgeon and the efforts that they made among orphans. We think about humanitarian outreach that has been done throughout the centuries by Christian people. Missionaries who went to foreign lands took with them medical supplies. Some of them were medical doctors. Bernardo, the famous name associated with the Bernardo Homes, George Muller, Spurgeon, as I've already noted, were providers of orphan care. But we can also think about missionaries of the cross like Mary Slessor of Africa, William Carey of India, Gladys Aylward, and various others who were careful to help the native peoples in foreign lands. Yes, they were diligent to teach and preach the gospel first and foremost, but they also did, if you study it out, works of mercy and kindness. Now, why did they do that? They did it because of their love for God. In fact, that's why they went to the mission field in the first place. Because they loved the Lord, and therefore they loved the souls of men. They were not motivated by humanism. They were motivated by a mighty affection and love for Christ. They did what they did for the glory of God and of Christ. And if we, brethren and sisters, love and serve our fellow men out of a genuine love for our God, this is the proper motivation. We should be seeking to do all the good that we can in this world, not because those human objects of our love are worthy or are even thankful for it, but because our Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of our best efforts. If we love the Lord, we love our fellow men. If God has given his rightful place in your heart and life, it will cause you to deal correctly, properly with your fellow men. We are to treat others as we would wish to be treated. My late grandfather used to drum that into me like a mantra all the time. He used to say, son, do to others as you would have them do unto you. That's a biblical principle. Jesus said you must love your neighbor as thyself. Sometimes we'll say of certain people, he loves himself. That guy there, if he was made of chocolate, he would eat himself. He loves himself. You know, there's a sense in which we should love ourselves. Because the Bible says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Whenever the Lord through Paul was teaching about marriage, about wives and husbands and their relative duties, he said that no man yet ever hated his own flesh. And he said that we are to love our wives even as our own bodies. Yes, we are to love ourselves. But it is, note carefully, not as you love God. Our love for men flows from our love for God. It expresses and evidences our love for God, but it doesn't replace it. Loving your neighbor is not a way of loving God. We are to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. 
and our neighbor as ourselves. This is the order of love. But as well as that, I want you to note the obligation of love. You and I as Christians have obligations Godward and manward. Now notice how the Lord Jesus used the word love. Love the Lord, love thy neighbor. And again, we shouldn't miss this, that Christ joined together law with love. After all, these two are precepts. It's not advice. This is not mere advice that the Lord is giving to love God and love your neighbor. These are commandments. That's the question the Lord was asked by that lawyer. He said, which is the greatest commandment? Which, master, which is the great commandment in the law? Or which is the greatest commandment? Not advice. What's the law? And Jesus said, thou shalt, that's law, love The Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt. There it is again. That's law. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So there's a joining of law and love. You know there are some preachers who think that love and law are the antithesis one of the other. That somehow love has replaced law. But notice how Christ joined law with love. The Lord didn't say the law has been replaced by some higher law of love. No. We fulfill the law through love. What the Lord is saying here is, He who would love God and he who would love his neighbor will keep God's laws. Now that's clear teaching that's found in many places in Scripture we again remind ourselves of the words of Jesus in John 14, verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. There's a joining together of love and law. They're not the antithesis, the one or the other. These are not two competing things. But rather, if you love me, keep my commandments, keep my law. Love and law together. Now, the New Testament Greek words that are translated love in the context of our text refer to an active personal concern for the well-being of others. It's not mere sentiment, but it is a motivation of will which produces positive action. Now, our actions toward our fellows are regulated by God's law. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke of a new commandment. Again, we should not misunderstand his words. John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you. Some commentators have called this the, the, the 11th commandment. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And then he said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. Notice that it is a commandment. It's not merely good advice. It is the law of love. So we come to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the Ten Words, they show us how a loving person lives. They illustrate for us, they show to us how love works. Loving your neighbor 
fulfills the second table of the law. That's what the Apostle Paul said. Uh, Turn over to Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians 5 and verse 14. Notice carefully. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He is, of course, referring to that second table of the law. But particularly, we want to notice that it is striking for Paul to say, All the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt. We are commanded to do this. Now, if you go back to the Ten Commandments themselves, and they are listed the first time in Exodus chapter 20. They're listed again in Deuteronomy. But in Exodus chapter 20, you will note in verses 16 and 17 what the Bible says toward the end about loving your neighbor. These are the last two commandments. The commandments regarding Lying or bearing false witness and covetousness. Look at verse 16 and 17 of Exodus 20. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And then, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Notice these references to your neighbor in these last two commandments. Now, in our shorter catechism, there is a real fleshing out of our obligation to our neighbor in both the questions and the answers. Uh, Questions 71 through 81. What is required in the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment requireth the preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity in heart, speech, and behavior. What is forbidden in the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment forbiddeth all unchaste thoughts, words, and actions, which is the eighth commandment. The eighth commandment is, Thou shalt not steal. What is required in the eighth commandment? The eighth commandment requireth the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves, and notice this, and others. What is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment forbiddeth whatsoever doth or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth or outward estate. Question 76, which is the Ninth Commandment. The Ninth Commandment is, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. What is required in the Ninth Commandment? The Ninth Commandment requireth the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man, and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness-bearing. Question 78. What is forbidden in the Ninth Commandment? The Ninth Commandment forbiddeth whatsoever is prejudicial to truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. And then, which is the Tenth Commandment? The Tenth Commandment is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. What is required in the Tenth Commandment? The Tenth Commandment requireth full contentment with our own condition, 
with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. And finally, question 81, what is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? The Tenth Commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor, and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. Now you see there the obligation of love. Yet because we do what we do out of a true heart of love, it is never to be viewed as a drudgery. Something that we do because we're obligated to do it by law, but we would rather not if we had the option. No. Let us as believers pray that the Lord will enable us always to have a heart full of love for sinners, even when they may be the most unlovely and unloving toward us. There is an obligation of love, as well as an order of love. Of course, there is the object of love to consider. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 10, we read the portion. In verse 29, this man who was an expert in law, that's what it means when it says he was a lawyer. He was not, in the modern sense, of lawyer, an attorney, or somebody who appeared in court. He was a man who was expert in the law of God. And he said to the Lord, Who is my neighbor? We read that in Luke chapter 10, verse 29. He, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Let me point out that in the New Testament, there are several words for neighbor. It could mean one who is near, hence one's neighbor. And we talk about our neighbors as being those that live next door to us or in the proximity of our home. Or those dwelling around. But the word neighbor could also signify one living in the same land. And it's always used in the plural there, neighbors. But in our culture... The word usually suggests, doesn't it, one who lives next door or in our street. And in the Bible this is often the case. But the word neighbor is a word with a very comprehensive scope. Thy neighbor really includes anyone to whom you can act as a neighbor. In other words, anyone at all who has need of us is our neighbor. One writer put it like this, be in your spirit neighborly, and then every man will be your neighbor. It is not place, but love that makes a neighborhood. The question is not so much, who is my neighbor, but am I neighborly? And one commented, the best of the heathen before Christ knew little or nothing of the majesty of this precept to them, none were neighbours, but those with whom they were immediately connected, kinsmen, friends, and the like. But Christ has taught us to recognise a neighbour in everyone who has need of us. And it was in this context that the Lord spoke the parable of the Good Samaritan. <clears throat> the commentator Herbert Lockyer said, as we take our journey through life, those that we come upon, quote, by chance, 
who are in dire need of help, spiritual, physical or material. These are our neighbours that the great good Samaritan himself would have us assist. So tonight as I speak to you, the question is, who is your neighbour? Well, it's anyone in need who you can help at the time. At its simplest, this means responding to the needs that you meet up with in the day-to-day providence of God. There are people whose paths you cross in daily life, and those are the people that you're called to be a neighbour to. Christians are obligated to manifest love to all men with whom they come in contact, even their enemies. And that's not easy. But that's what the Lord Jesus said, didn't he, in Matthew 5, 44 and 45. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. That's what we call common grace. The Lord is good to all, the psalmist said, and his tender mercies over all his works. In Christ's day, some people would say, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But Jesus cut across that and said, No, love your enemies, etc., so that you'll be like the Lord. John Wesley put it like this, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, to all the people you can. Now this is not to say that any of this is going to contribute to your salvation. Obviously it doesn't. No one is saved by the exercise of good works toward their neighbor. And as I said earlier, this is a kind of a so-called gospel that is preached by many. If you're kind to your neighbors, God will be kind to you. You'll make it to heaven if you live as a good citizen in this world. The Bible knows nothing of that. We're all under God's condemnation. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We constantly fall short of God's standard. And we need grace. We need mercy. We're not saved by good works. We're saved by Christ's work. But if we are Christ, then we'll take the words of Christ seriously. And I want to, in that context, come to the final thought here. We've talked about the order of love and the obligation of love and the object of love. I want us to consider the occupation of love. Loving your neighbor is the practical outworking of a heart of compassion. In Luke chapter 10, the Lord brings this out in verse 33. In speaking of the Samaritan, the one that you would not expect to show the love that he did, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And then verse 37 tells us, that he showed mercy on him, and we are to go and do likewise. Now, the first thing that can be seen in the Good Samaritan is a pitying attitude. Verse 33 puts it this way, he had 
compassion. Now isn't that interesting that when the word compassion is used in the New Testament, it is always either about Jesus or by Jesus and never about anyone else except as he used it in this parable. Let me repeat that. When the word compassion is used in the New Testament, it is always either about Jesus or by Jesus and never about anyone else except as he used it in this parable of the Good Samaritan. So what am I saying? I'm saying that to have an attitude of compassion, a pitying attitude, is to be like Christ. It's a Christ-like thing. And we can never expect to do any good in our dealings with the unsaved without showing the love of Christ to them. And there are multiple ways in which the Lord will enable you to do that. Now in the parable, the suffering of another human being moved him, the Samaritan, to pity. In a sense, he entered in with his suffering. And being a neighbour to someone starts with having love and compassion in your heart. Your heart goes out to them. And therefore you and I should pray with the hymn writer. I want, dear Lord, a love that feels for all. A deep, strong love that answers every call. A love like thine, a love divine. A love for high and low. On me, dear Lord, a love like this bestow. The occupation of love, there's a pitying attitude. But as well as the pitying attitude, there was in the Samaritan a practical activity. Look at verse 34. It doesn't say in verse 33 just that he saw him and had compassion on him and that was it. It goes on to say, verse 34, And he went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. What was the proof that this man had a pitying attitude? How do we know he had love and compassion? Because love goes into action. Love goes into action. Someone put it this way, love binds up and soothes the wounds of life. Now I hasten to add, that's not the socialist philosophy of state intervention. The welfare state or the welfare society. But this is the scriptural philosophy of Christian intervention. It's stated by the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3. And verse 17. Listen carefully to these words. 1 John 3.17 But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need so you've got plenty and he has nothing and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. And that word bowels in the old English signified the seat of the affections. So he shuts up his the seat of his affections, his heart of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. See, those who truly love their neighbor are engaged in practical activity. 
The good Samaritan had compassion, but he also showed mercy. Love went into action. And thus we must respond as Christians to the needs that we face every day. Having compassion in our hearts and reaching out practically with our hands. Now that doesn't mean that we allow people to create a situation where they take advantage of us. There are people who have genuine needs and there are others who are professional beggars. I see able-bodied people all the time. They're dressed better than I am. They've got shoes that cost more than mine. And yet they're telling everybody that they're hungry and homeless. I don't see it. I don't believe it. They're out there, able-bodied, standing all day long, doing what someone like, for example, my wife could never do because of her sore back. Standing all day long, begging money of cars and people passing by. But listen, there are those in this world in genuine need. And the most loving thing that we can do is to pray for and to witness to our fellow men. But as well as that, the practical Christianity that we're called to show is so important. It's not either or. It's not give them the gospel or give them practical help. It's both. It's not a case of witnessing to people or on the other hand being kind to them and helping them. It's both. The Scottish preacher George Duncan once said, Sometimes it's not a gospel tract that our neighbour wants. It is our time. It is not our counsel the needy person wants. It's our companionship. It's not an invitation to our church only that the person requires, but an invitation to our home that will break down the barrier in that spiritually impoverished heart. True love finds a way to practically serve others. Many in the Free Presbyterian Church will be familiar with the ministry of Dr. Bill Woods. Dr. Bill went to be a missionary in Brazil, obviously to take the gospel to the native Brazilians. But when he was there, traveling up and down the Amazon to villages and towns, he found that there were people who needed the gospel, but they also needed help. There were people suffering from leprosy. He saw a child one day bringing a hot pot of food, and he realized as the child was holding this pot that the flesh on his hands was burning, but the child couldn't feel it because his nerve endings had been destroyed by leprosy. Dr. Bill found people who were having problems with their eyesight, some of them blinded permanently, others who could be helped if they could get the, the proper care. And so what Dr. Woods did, and it's well documented in that book, The Angel of the Amazon and various other places, Dr. Bill went to school, he went to college, and learned all that he needed to learn to become a medical doctor, in fact an eye surgeon, learning all that he learned in Portuguese, which was not his native language. Just a regular guy from Belfast. And what started a lot of that, his medical training to help people, was a statement that was made by a native Brazilian to him, 
when a relative of theirs was suffering so badly from this leprosy, that person said to Dr. Bill, I don't want just sympathy, I want you to do something. I want you to do something. And Dr. Bill Woods testified he could not get that out of his mind. I want you to do something. And so he went to school. And he learned over a number of years in Portuguese all that he needed to learn to become a medical missionary. And so Dr. Bill then went out in canoes and boats up and down the Amazon treating people, bringing people to hospitals for treatment, but also giving them the gospel. This is love in action. Is the Lord saying this to some of us tonight as believers? Oh, we're good at talking to people about the gospel. Perhaps we can give people tracts. We don't have any problem inviting people to church. And we can talk all day long about the Bible. But as the Lord saying to some of us, I want you to do something. What are we doing to truly love our neighbor? Pitying attitude. Practical activity. And then in this display of love, notice a persistent alleviation. A persistent alleviation. What I mean by that is, when you read verse 35, we discover that this Samaritan continued to alleviate the man's suffering, persisting in his practical care for his physical needs. It wasn't a one-time effort. Verse 35 says, And on the morrow, when he departed, He took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. See, here's an ongoing care. It has been said that the charity of some believers is a bit like an extra set missile. They just fire and forget. You know, the type of thing, a one-time gift or... A random act of kindness and that's it. But we are to continue to love our neighbour. Now again, love for our neighbour will also have a gospel emphasis and application. And I don't want this to be lost in the message. Christian love labours to bring sinners to the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost. If we work to meet men's temporal needs... It is only a means toward addressing their spiritual needs. Unlike much of what happens today with many. You know, in the days when the Salvation Army was not ecumenical, the early Salvationists under William Booth, they not only fed starving men, but they preached the gospel to them. Now it's become largely just a charitable institution. William Booth never believed that once his soldiers had given food to the hungry, they had accomplished their mission. No, their great aim was to point men to the Savior. And that must be our aim. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 5, the scripture says this, The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. 
Isn't that good? The poor have the gospel preached to them. If I really love my neighbour as myself, I will want him to know the Saviour who I have come to know. If you're a child of God, I trust that you and I both will have a true compassion for the souls of men. And there is, of course, finally in this parable, a reminder of the great truth of the gospel. Christ himself was, in a sense, the ultimate good Samaritan. Did the Lord not make humanity his neighbour? Did the Lord not come down in the incarnation to where lost people were, seeing them in their plight, having compassion on them, seeing them stripped of their true nature, stripped of divine ideals, wounded by their sins, and unable to help themselves? That's exactly how he found us. And religion, as represented by the Levite or the priest, could do nothing to help us or save us. But he, as the ultimate good one, died in the place of sinners. As one man put it, he, through his death and resurrection, covers our nakedness, binds up our wounds, and heals them with a balm extracted from his own broken heart. Not only that, but he puts us in a place of safety, provides for our needs, and promises to return again and take us to himself. And so it's a mark of true Christians that they love their neighbour. They love others. They care about them because the Lord loves them. The Lord has pity on them. And the Lord has lifted them as believers from their sins. And I think tonight of how the Lord has treated me. How gracious has the Lord been to me. And believer, you can say the same thing. How gracious has the Lord been to you. Can you then treat others any other way but in love and pity and mercy? We express our love for the Lord by our love for our fellow men. And we gauge our love for them by comparing it with our love for ourselves. This is what it means. To love thy neighbor. May God give us the help that we need. In living as faithful neighbours from day to day. And may we win our neighbours and those that we come in contact with each and every day to Christ who alone is able to save.